the future uh, employment and, and security tenure and they guarantee that terms and conditions will remain as they are both bus companies added to uh, needed by I suppose the commitment on growth uh, and equipment to fund that growth again by the government and they also assure us that there is no intention by this government to privatise any bus services beyond 2019. I'm ashamed at the manner in which patients were treated without respect, care and compassion when they most needed it by members of my own profession and other professions. Many did not receive the quality of care we should expect from a modern health service in a developed world. Patients and their families were treated dreadfully and at times inhumanely. And no, uh, there is not an automatic right to surrogacy. There is no right to surrogacy. Uh, at, the, at the present moment, surrogacy is not regulated at all. There is no right of access in, in law and there is no uh, legal right to prohibit anybody accessing surrogacy. I wouldn't call him up again. Come on, this lad's 19, 20, 20 years of age. As soon as you're asked that question, you know, you, you make a decision to play for a country, you make it with your head, you don't make it with your head, you don't need nine, ten months, you know, to mull over every potential permutation, the advantages or disadvantages of, of which choice that you make. Mick Clifford, uh, Irish Examiner Special Correspondent in our Dublin studio. No music this week, Mick. I was going to get you to hum along, but uh, <laughs> I, I thought I'd catch you on the hop if I did that. How are you? Not too bad, Jonathan. Not too bad, no. This day next week, people will be going into polling booths right around the country, casting their ballot on the two referendums. Let's not forget the one about presidential age that no one seems to give two hoots about. But on the other one, I'd imagine there is a lot of people, there are a lot of people in this country who will be happy when the debate is over and they actually get to vote because it seems, A, to be getting more polarised as we get on in places and B, uh, that the longer it goes on, the more people get fed up of the issues rather than getting involved in them. Yeah, and I think what's interesting here, Jonathan, is, as you say, it is getting intense, it is getting polarised far more so than a lot of other referendums but I wonder whether that will be reflected in turnout which will be very interesting to see a number of the referendums we've had coincided with other votes so it'll be interesting to see if there is a big turnout I hope irrespective of the result there is a big turnout because it is an important thing I have to say I was particularly moved I have to say today by the account uh, of Ursula Halligan Mm -hmm. in the Irish Times um, and I walked away from that saying to myself with some embarrassment um, who am I to be voting on whether or not somebody who's gay has the right to marry to be honest with you I just I thought it was a really powerful piece I have to say and I I would suspect it could turn out to be a, a, a very seminal piece in this debate because Ursula she's someone I know on a casual basis through work but she, as she pointed out in her piece she's coming from a position where she is um, very much a, a, a practising Catholic herself and you know underneath what struck me, Mick, reading Ursula's piece, and it's an excellent piece, it's in the Irish Times, was that how many other Ursula Halligans are out there? How many other people have gone through life hiding their sexuality, living lives that could be described as miserable because they, they felt they couldn't be themselves? That is not an issue that has anything to do with marriage. That is an issue to do with Irish society and the society that you grew up in and that I grew up in. Absolutely. And and the point there, and Ursula makes known her age and she's 54, she's saying to go to that stage in life, living uh, living a lie to a certain extent like that. That's exactly the point, you know, and, and particularly in a society that um, because of our history and everything, it was very conservative in a lot of ways. But I mean, the point a lot of people like that are making is that this, as far as they're concerned, is the last barrier. Uh, stopping them becoming equal citizens and irrespective of 
the, 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 the type of arguments that get pretty esoteric, I think, in a lot of instances. I think that emotional element to it will be a powerful decider in a week's time, but it remains to be seen one way or the other. That emotional element is a part of the debate, but it's not the main substance of the debate at the moment because the debate we have at the moment is between the yes and the no side, what the no side is claiming, what the yes side is refuting and and, and in the middle you have the referendum commission issuing their advice that is also being disagreed with by the no side. The debate, it has been argued, isn't around the actual issue. Yeah, and I, I'd go along with that. I mean, I personally, I think that a, a huge plank of the no campaign um, is muddying the waters. It's bringing issue. I mean, surrogacy. Listen, the, 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 first of all, there's a tiny instance of it. Secondly, within that incidence, the vast majority of surrogacy involves heterosexual couples. Introducing that... Where, in, where there's no regulation now either, there, by the way. Completely, there doesn't even regulation of assisted human reproduction. But, I mean, you're talking about issues that, even within the context in which they're used, a tiny proportion of it is, involves same-sex couples. That's before you even address the issue of whether or not uh, that has any relevance or is any different from a heterosexual couple doing it. But introducing that into a debate that's supposed to be around the consuming what's a marriage, allowing people to have the same status in their relationship as heterosexual people are. I think it's clouded the issue in a huge way. As a political tactic, I would suspect it has, it has had some success. But despite the fact that you can't trust opinion polls, as we saw at the British general election, and despite the fact that these things are always much closer than uh, opinion polls suggest, uh, I just don't think it has hit home to that extent. And I, when I talk about the emotional appeal, I think what there, what you're dealing with is people with real lives, people describing their real life situation, and that in that context, what this means to people who were put in that position and not just people who, and a number of high profile people have come out as gay but people's parents people's brothers and sisters the whole thing and um, I, I think it'll be very interesting to see but um, certainly stuff like what Ursula Halligan came out with today I think is very powerful and is very central to the whole issue uh, let's talk about Port Leash now. Uh, this day last week, the Hickel report came out. We were only digesting it at this time, um, but we've had a lot of time to digest it since. We had the Minister for Health saying that he was ashamed of the action of some of his colleagues in medicine. Now, because he's a doctor, he can say that, but there's a difference between being ashamed of some of the actions in the past and making sure that it doesn't happen again. They're saying it won't but they have quite a distance to go to convince women who are using these smaller hospitals that that is the case. They do. Um, I mean, look, I, personally, Jonathan, I think there's a bigger issue here, and that's the whole configuration of hospitals in this country. Do we need the number of small hospitals that we have? Is it in the best interests of all the citizens, including and particularly including those who live in areas in which small hospitals are operating. Is it in their interests to have a, a facility on their doorstep that is not going to offer the best care by the nature of things or is it better to have one to which they travel which they're nearly guaranteed far better care? I think that is at the heart of a huge amount of the problems around health. It has been so for the last 30 or 40 years 
and every so often you're going to see scandals like this popping up. Of course there are particular circumstances in this and other issues but overall I think there's a bigger picture and I think as a country we haven't addressed that yet. We can easily blame politicians, we can easily blame um, management personnel in the HSE. I think the issue is much wider than that. But I think the big problem Mick, still comes down to something very basic and that's staffing. That we saw an extra 80 nurses going to Port Leash. It now has the best staff ratio in the country. And everyone is, is delighted that that means that the services there will be arguably much safer as a result. What about the other hospitals, even the big hospitals, the, the Rotundas, the Coombs, the CUMHs, where the staffing levels are far below what they should be. The INMO told us what they are. We're not even close to what they are by international standards. So... The thing is, we're going to have to start putting money into these people. And I was down at the INMO conference last week and every nurse I spoke just talking about getting out of the industry, not mind mentioning hiring anybody. Yeah, that's definitely an issue. Look, health has been an issue the whole time. Um, and, and, and the worst thing of all is that when times were good, things were not addressed properly. We've gone through this huge budgetary readjustment in which resources have become stretched. And as a result, we still have the same old problems now. There's no doubt there's going to have to be some way to approach it. But I think overall you need a, you need a much bigger approach to the, to the picture and that will involve some very painful political decisions. And I just wonder whether the country is ready for that, even now, despite all that has happened and all the victims we've seen of what in, in places definitely very shoddy service. Uh, just uh, to finish up on that story that you were writing about in the Irish Examiner this morning, the Millfield Manor estate, we knew the second we saw the pictures there was something not right because what you were left with was a row of, I think it was about six houses and yeah. all you had in either end were gable walls, nothing in the middle except a chimney that was left standing. Uh, this report that you were writing about this morning shows that th th there were problems with these houses that might explain why it spread so fast. Jonathan, in in short, and I, I not being alarmist, but the, the the way that those houses were built, according to the examination of the unoccupied houses afterwards, is renders them to some extent a fire trap. I mean, for six houses to go up in twenty minutes, between twenty and thirty minutes, is a frightening thing to happen. It happened at four o'clock in the afternoon. If it had been in in the middle of the night, God knows what might have happened. Um, there are issues to do with Milford Manor there and how they need to be addressed. The frightening thing is this is not an isolated incident. The quality of building that went on in this country through the years when the, everything was thrown up as quickly as possible and that there was no regulation whatsoever, um, that's coming back to haunt us now. There was even a case in the High Court the other day about a, an, another building in Dublin that fire officers want evacuated. It is both in terms of the quality of the buildings, in terms of the safety of the whole thing. These stories are going to keep trickling out and I think it's going to become a bigger issue. How we're going to address it, I don't know, but in the, in the immediate situation there in uh, Newbridge, the residents are left in a situation whereby they bought houses in good faith and now they're being told it's entirely up to them to decide whether or not they go and get this work done. There's issues there around the whole fire safety regulations as well. But I think um, Alan Kelly's department is going to have to start tackling this very soon. 
Okay, Mick Clifford, special correspondent with the Irish Examiner. Oh, before you go, we mentioned you two there, the kickoff of the tour in Vancouver last night. You're you're a fan of the boys, aren't you? I'm a fan. Put it this way: in in my long life, I have at various stages been a fan. <laughs> well, you've, you've, have I mean, you dragged look, yourself to concerts? Have you? No, well, no. In fairness, I have to say to give a good concert. And look, the other thing: look, there's plenty we can say. We can talk about Bono and mouthing off, and the whole thing with the tax affairs and that. To be at the stage they're at after 35 years, no matter what way you look at it, you can't knock it. Yeah, well, they're playing of small arenas now as opposed to the stadium. So that might suit someone like you. You know, you get a nice, comfortable uh, seat. Sit down, you yeah, have to yeah, make yeah, your way yeah, through yeah, the crowds, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mick Clifford, pleasure as always. We'll talk to you next week. Uh, this is News Talk Lunchtime. Actually, let's go to Boston now. Kevin Cullen of the Boston Globe. Good afternoon to you, Kevin. How are you, Jonathan? I'm very well. I know you're heading across uh, to the court uh, shortly. Jury is resuming deliberations there. They're taking their time on what is a very difficult question. Well, just think of the awesome responsibility, John. You, you, you're basically being asked to, if somebody lives or dies. Uh, there's very few people in this world that have uh, given that responsibility. So I would imagine they are taking their time. Uh, you know, we're looking at some past death penalty cases in America, and Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, was the jury was out for 11 hours. Uh, you know, it's hard to say unless you're in there to get the dynamics of a jury, but I think this is also a very unusual place in the United States because the opposition to the death penalty is greatest here in the Boston area by far. In fact, uh, my newspaper, the Boston Globe, did a poll of Bostonians and found that only 15% supported the death penalty for Jars and I have the, the convicted Boston Marathon bomber. That's that's by far the smallest support you'd have, and and I got to tell you, John, I sat through the, this case every day of it, and I am personally opposed to the death penalty, and that would never change. But I could understand somebody who was on the fence, having heard this horrible evidence and how callous he was, and how it just was horrific stuff. So I, I think even people that would be personally on the fence about the death penalty would really struggle with this one. If you had to put it to a jury, this is the jury that it needs to be put to. They're the jury that Absolutely. sat through the trial. They're the jury that have heard both sides making the argument. Do they have to reach a unanimous verdict for him to be put to death? No, only one juror. If if one juror opposes the death penalty in this case for whatever reason, whether they believe he, he was too young, he was 19 at the time he did it, whether he was under undue influence by the older radicalized brother, whether he came from this dysfunctional family where he was just off on his own. If, if one juror buys that argument, um, then, then he will not be put to death. So the, it, it is, you know, I have to be honest, John. If this was in Texas, if this was in Oklahoma, if this was in Colorado, this kid, I'm telling you, would be going to death row. But it is different here, and he does have a I think this is probably one of the few places in the United States that he has a shot uh, to receive life without the possibility of parole, as if that's a, <laughs> an easy sentence. Mm. And then that's the other thing that came out through this. There were a number of jurors, including some that are sitting on this very panel, who articulated that in their view, life without parole for a 21-year-old man is worse than death. And if, if he is found... To, to be heading to the chair, if the jury um, says the death sentence is appropriate, will that be carried out in Boston? It's a federal crime, but is no, there is there a jail in Boston against, that would do this? It would, be against, it would be against the law to carry it out here. He will be sent, if in fact they, they sentence him to death, 
he will be sent to Terre Haute, Indiana, which is where the federal death row is. But remember this, John, since 1988, when the federal government got back in the business of killing people, there have been, you know, more than five, about 500 death penalty cases. Of those, 79, only 79 um, were, were found guilty and sentenced to death. Of those 79, only three have been executed. Uh, his age, all these things, if he is sent to death row, and the jury, I think, is aware of this, he will sit there for many, many years. He will not be executed. Uh, my personal opinion, even if he's convicted and sent, you know, given the death penalty, this, this guy will never be executed. I just don't believe it. There are appealable issues. And that's what the Richard family, if you remember, the, the youngest victim, Martin Richard, was eight years old, and his um, parents, Bill and Denise Richard, for lack of a better term, have been the conscious of the city uh, since this happened. They're just really, really decent people. And, uh, you know, when the penalty phase was about to begin more than a month ago, they issued a statement via my newspaper, which they said they do not want him to die. Um, they didn't couch it in, now, you know, there are many people who know the Richards and just know that they are, they are opposed to the death penalty. That's, you know, it's full stop. But that isn't the way they put it. They, they put it that... They know the reality is if he is sentenced to death, he will linger there for years and years and years. There will be appeals after appeal. And, you know, this family will never move on. They're going to set, you know, an eight-year-old girl who lost her leg uh, and lost her brother. And they want their kids to just move on. And there's no moving on if he goes to death row. If he goes to the Supermax in Colorado, we never hear from him again. And that's a very powerful argument. That's one that the defense made strongly. It's one that the prosecution fought back against, but it was almost absurd. They were saying, does he get a bed? Does he get blankets? As if this was somehow a country club he would yeah. be being sentenced to. So there's all to play for. And uh, it's, it's, you know, today, uh, who knows? It could be today. They might want to think about it for a weekend. Nobody knows because nobody's in that room with those jurors. Uh, the jury probably going to come back today uh, at Globe Cullen is your Twitter handle and uh, you'll be breaking that news when it comes to hand. I just want to talk about one of the other big stories in the States, completely a contrast to what we've just been talking about, but one that nonetheless has been the big talking point in the States. This four-game suspension of the New England Patriots quarterback, Tom Brady. It's over Deflategate. We've talked about it before. Here he is speaking to Jim Gray in the last few days. Got to put a clip in there, Kevin, and pick up on the back of yeah. it, Okay. Kevin, we've talked about this. Basically, what they were doing was they were letting the air out of the football, throwing it to this guy. He found it easier to catch. And effectively, he was cheating. And this has caused ructions in American football. Yeah, you begin with the premise that the New England Patriots are the Manchester United of American football. Everybody outside their fan base hates them and hates them a lot because of their success. But this is, I mean, there's also a tone deafness here in my area for this team. And, and yesterday, I would say that the, the Patriots came out with a 20,000-word response to the NFL's investigation and suspension. And it almost defied it, – it, it reminded me of something out of an Orwell novel. Because it was – they basically said one, the most damning evidence against Tom Brady and the Patriots was, that, was the, these text messages between two guys on the team, very lowly employees who were in charge of the footballs. And one guy called the other one the deflator. That was his nickname, the deflator. And their response was the Patriots, with a straight face, came out and said, 
He called himself the deflator because he was on a diet. Oh, yeah. That's, that, that's <laughs> believable, isn't it? Absolutely. So, you, you, now, like I said, there's one thing about insulting people by cheating in the game, but insulting our intelligence on top of it is really appalling. It's just, you know, given the serious stuff of what we just talked about, given the seriousness of, you know, we just had a horrible train crash in, in, in Philadelphia, uh, the poor people in Nepal, another another earthquake they have to deal with, and 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 most of America is obsessing about this nonsense. Uh, and then you know, it, it, to me, I'd have so much more respect for them if they say, "Okay, you caught us. Uh, we don't think it's that big a deal, but we'll take our punishment and we'll come back and win the Super Bowl next week." That year, that that would have been the response. Yeah, but sports, but politics, you name it, the truth very rarely outs there, Kevin. Very, very rarely in the National Football League, that's for sure. The other thing that's unbelievable, Ray Rice, uh, you know, the, the football player for the Baltimore Ravens, who was caught on video beating his wife unconscious, received a two-game suspension. So Tom Brady taking air out of the football apparently is twice as bad as knocking your wife out cold. <sighs> Priorities are a little bit skewed in the States. Kevin Cullen of the Boston Globe. Pleasure as always. We talk to you next week. Absolutely. Thanks, Jonathan.